Welcome to another episode of the John Barker Fitness Podcast. Today's guest is founder and owner of Team Loco Fit. She shares her knowledge of health and fitness in this episode, and we dive into some principles and best practices for competing. Welcome to the show, Lauren Conlon. I really appreciate your time that you took out of your busy schedule to come onto the show with me and hope that we can really deliver some value to the listeners. And there's a couple of topics I want to get into with you specifically, but for the time being, uh, to get started, if you'll go ahead and just introduce yourself, who you are, introduce your team a little bit uh, about what you do, what you stand for, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, John. I really appreciate it. So I am the owner and head coach of Team LocoFit. So we're an online coaching and consulting company. Uh, It was me for many years, and then now we've expanded to a team. So my boyfriend, Ryan, is the training director, so he helps out with the training programs. It's a fancy way of saying that. (laughs) And then I have three other coaches who work underneath um, me as well. They have their own clients, um, but they use the same philosophies that I do. They've all been coached by me and mentored by me every week. So it's been fun to grow the team that way. Um, I do have my bachelor's and master's in exercise science. And my research um, in my in my master's program, sorry, um, focused on flexible dieting versus meal plans and how that affected weight loss and weight regain. And then I also am an IFBB bikini pro, been competing since 2011. So I've done quite a few shows as both an amateur and professional. And yeah, I travel a lot. I speak. I work at different events with companies that I I work within the industry and, you know, travel to client shows and events as well. So when you, before you started building your team out, right, you had coaching that you were doing individually. What inspired you to become a coach yourself? Honestly, it's not really like a very glamorous story. Um, But at the time I was being coached um, and then I had a friend in my undergrad who was like, hey, can you coach me? You know, like you have a coach. And I said, sure okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. (laughs) I can help you. And I think this would be a a good thing. And I kept it really small, you know, for a few years, just kind of, you know, helping out, you know, that girl, one of her friends, some people I knew at the gym, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, But all all the while still in school, and then just kind of like building little systems and seeing, okay, oh, this works. Oh, this doesn't. And then I'd say about a year and a half into that, um, that's actually when I turned pro. And um, I had started grad school, turn pro and then I had two other coaches really encourage me like hey you should make this you know legitimate you've been doing this kind of for a little while not so legitimate um not like it was sketchy or anything that sounds terrible um but just kind of you know hey let's make this official so got a website got some social media going because I'm very not inclined to any of those things so yeah that was really why it started because somebody honestly asked me and I was you know in the career of I had started as a dietetics major now as an exercise science major I honestly was not sure what I wanted to do I knew that I liked research I knew that I liked you know nutrition and training and all these kinds of things. So I thought, oh, well, this would be a great way I can help people. Um, Absolutely in no way imagine this would be what I would be doing now as far as, you know, having a team of people, but it kind of progressed that way. And I took the jump and here we are. (laughs) So you said that you focus a lot on uh, what, what was it when you said you're with nutrition Now you said you didn't do so much meal plans, but you focus on uh, intuitive eating and, and that sort? Oh, no, no. So my my graduate research, um, like my project that I did in grad school was looking at how different types of dieting affect weight loss and weight regain. We happen to choose looking at a meal plan versus tracking macros, which has still not been done or replicated in the literature. Um, 
traditionally as a coach, I would say that we use mostly a tracking macros approach. Um, we do not write meal plans currently at this time, um, but I do blend some tracking with, of course, lifelong healthy habits with flexibility, which does not necessarily equate to flexible dieting, actual flexibility in your diet, um, and also some intuitive aspects as well. And it will just depend on the client if somebody's a competitive client or they are a um, you know lifestyle client. But the goal is to instill healthy long-term habits. And I don't think that there's anything healthy about tracking every single gram of your macro to the T for the rest of your life. Um, and likewise, not understanding what you're eating um, and not having any concept of portion control or, you know, flexibility within your diet is not healthy either. So kind of blending those approaches is really our goal. Okay. And that makes sense. Cause you had mentioned that you had started within your studies that being a dietitian was part of that coursework. Now, whether you, you know, stuck with that or went a different route, that's why I asked because, uh, meal plans are typically things that people who aren't registered dietitians will sort of stay away from more of oh, just yeah. on a, you know, it's a legality <laughs> issue or whatnot. But uh, so that's why I was asking, cause you mentioned that, but then you also mentioned uh, macro tracking and that kind mm-hmm. of a meal strategy. Yeah, we actually, one of my coaches now is actually in her internship um, to become a registered dietitian. So that might be something um, in the future, within the next year that we do offer, um, maybe if, if that's something that people are interested in. But typically I um, I find that, you know, there's, everybody starts at a different level. So I think that there's kind of a continuum with how food should be looked at. And I think that um, you know, meal plans can actually be really helpful for people. And that's actually what I learned in my research was that they weren't so this bad taboo thing that we often hear in the bodybuilding world. Um, like, oh, if you eat off a meal plan, you're never going to be able to eat for the rest of your life. And, um, I really found that this group of people that I was doing research with a, a large percentage of them did benefit from the meal plan. Um, however, of course it was only a short study. It was, you know, a 10 week diet. So that's a little bit different than somebody maybe doing a contest prep diet. Uh, but in any case, I do think that meal plans are um, a good strategy for some people when they're starting out, but I don't think that it's, again, a lifelong strategy. That makes sense. And I think it's important to note that not everything is a one-size-fits-all, that like you said, some people you saw benefited with the meal plan, others were oh, yes. more in line with macro tracking and having that be the main benefit. So just briefly on the IFBB Pro aspect, when you first uh, reached that and you first went pro, how significant was that in your training and in your whole fitness progress, or was it simply another stepping stone? Explain a little bit about the feelings behind that. Yeah, so I had actually started competing as a figure competitor. Um, crazy to think that, but uh, in 2011, so I did my first show, and then I continued with figure through early 2014. So about three years I competed in figure. And I just, even back then, which it's way different than it is now, um, I just didn't have the size or the density. So at this point, at 2014, Bikini kind of made that turn where they were looking for a more athletic look. Still not what they're looking at today as far as how muscular it is, but it was a lot more athletic. So I ended up just kind of switching, basically switching posing, switching suits, and, you know, seemingly keeping a somewhat similar physique, um, you know, refined my presentation, of course, but... Um, you know, did several shows as a bikini competitor, as an amateur, and then eventually turned pro at nationals in 2014. So um, when that happened, it was kind of like, oh, wow, this is, you know, maybe I'm decent at this, you know, maybe this is an accident. Um, and before that, I had, you know, competitively shown horses, I'd competitively ran track and cross country in high school. Um, so bodybuilding was always kind of like a side thing, but I really enjoyed it. So it was, um, I really didn't, you know, once I started placing better, you know, that's kind of when you say, okay, well, I'm going to 
you know, go for this. And that's always the goal is to reach kind of the highest status, which would be IFEB professional in my case. Um, so it was a big turning point as far as like, oh, wow, this is, you know, like I've been through now. It had did about, that was my 10th show before I turned pro. So I'd done a decent amount of shows. I'd gained some good experience. Um, but then even as a pro, you know, that is a whole different game. Um, like it is completely different um, now than when I turned pro five, almost five years ago. Um, but it's still been great lessons overall, as far as like my own lessons. And then of course, lessons for teaching clients. So that's really like when I first started, I would say the big thing was, you know, I had a, a handful of clients, but it was really, um, you know, I was doing it for me as a competitive thing. Now, um, anytime that I step on stage, it's, you know, it's for my clients. I'm learning for my clients. I'm learning for my coaches and the people that I mentor. So it's a lot different now, I think, than it was then. Um, but it's still the same you know, feelings of excitement and things like that, but it's a lot, has a, a deeper meaning now. Do you get nervous at all when you're on stage anymore? Or is that even something you ever had in the beginning? Cause I would imagine I've never competed. Right. But I would imagine uh, that that would be pretty nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking in a different way, maybe than you'd think. So I'm a pretty extroverted person. So I have no problem, you know, being up on stage and it wasn't necessarily ever stage fright. Um, but there is an enormous amount of just adrenaline and excitement and nerves, even if they're not negative, you just have this huge rush of them, um, that happen when you're about to get on stage. Um, and I would say that kind of the, any time that I've gotten on stage where I didn't feel hundred percent confident in the package that I was bringing, I have felt uncomfortable on stage. Um, so there has been a handful of times where that's happened and it is a very, very distinct nerve wracking feeling. Um, but all the other times it's more of just like a normal excitement. Um, and oh, you know, the first show of the season, if you've kind of been, you know, a little rusty, that's always a little bit of, a, Oh, it's the first one. But in general, I would say that only when I'm not really feeling my best, have I ever had true, I guess you could say, you know, nerves in, in a really negative way. That makes sense. So it's more of just an energy excitement and adrenaline. And I, I mm -hmm. can picture that. I, I can picture how that could be, especially since you've been working on it so hard and you've got all this progress that you've made and it's more about showing, you know, that confidence that you have. And I imagine that plays a huge role into it. But with you building towards that right and throughout all of the fitness progress that you had personally, what was the biggest thing that you struggled with or, or a big struggle that you had? Oh, there's so many, I guess. Um, <laughs> struggle bus captain over here. Um, I would say that the, the biggest thing that I think a lot of people who compete um, fall into this is that at some point, you know, you start to look a certain way, feel a certain way, place a certain way, and that becomes part of your identity. So, um, you know, for a long time, I was a student, I went to school for six years, you know, out of high school, and I was a competitive, you know, physique athlete, and that was kind of what I did, and then as I graduated, um, I no longer had school um, from the master's, graduated, and at that point, I had built the business up slowly to where I was like, okay, if I'm going to ever try to take this full-time, I need to try it now, and then I can always, you know, plan B afterwards, so as I was graduating, um, you know, I, I was still, I was actually prepping. So I started prep. I was going to do a few shows that year. Um, but now I've transitioned out of school, but I'm excited about it. You know, I was like, okay, ah, yay, school's over finally six years later. And then the following year, I, so I suffered a, you know, an injury in 2016, um, that kind of was nagging through the end of my contest prep. And now come 2017, I have this injury that is 
you know, not going away. It's kind of like chronic pain. My training is really inhibited and I'm no longer have the student identity. So yes, I have a business that's doing great, but I've kind of lost all these things that I was, you know, identifying myself with. So not that it was, thankfully I had things to fall back on. A lot of people will end up identifying themselves as, you know, whatever they choose. And that is the only thing they have. So that happens a lot of times with people who compete only thing they have going on is they compete and then if something does happen like god forbid you do get injured or you know financially you can't hack it that year then things really slide downhill so i had other things going on thankfully like with the business and you know great relationships around me but it was still like a big adjustment so i would say that for anybody who's listening who is either competing themselves or is interested in competing making sure that you have other things to fill that void and because you don't want to necessarily become oh I am just a competitor oh I am just you know insert whatever identity that you're putting on yourself so that actually plays very well into kind of where the main part of this show is that I want to go uh with that being said having seen some of the struggles you've been through with competing what sort of impact can that have on your life, both positive and negative? Because you, you say that you, if you have something you can't fall back onto, then perhaps that might be a negative if you end up not continuing competing. But the actual competing itself, what kind of impacts have you seen, both positive and negative? Yeah, so to start with the positives, there's a lot of really great things that you can learn from competing. Of course, the discipline is is pretty unmatched. Um, obviously, you know, if you're a top-level professional athlete, I would say that they have a ton of discipline as well. So I'm not trying to pretend like physique sports are this high and mighty thing, but um, there is a lot of discipline that goes into it and a lot of struggle just naturally as the byproduct of it, because you're basically trying to get to, you know, sub healthy body fat levels while still performing in the gym and having a normal life and attempting to have normal relationships as well. Um, so it really is a kind of a gnawing 24 seven, you know, like, work on your discipline level. So I think a lot of people really, really thrive on that. Um, and they really, they truly get a lot done and they truly see like what they're, what they're made of, you know, like, can I make it through this? Can I hack it? And one of my favorite people, um, ever Jocko Willink, it, he, he always says discipline equals freedom. And like, that's his, one of his main messages. And it really is true. And you can talk to pretty much anybody who's had a successful prep and they say, wow, there's nothing like a prep when I'm, you know, there's a certain period where, you fall off dramatically as far as like energy and mood and focus, but there is a, there is a good sweet spot where you're making progress towards a goal that is looming very high. Um, you know, okay. Getting on stage, very shredded in this bikini in front of people. So you have this goal that you're working towards and you're creating these disciplinary habits every day and you're achieving these goals. So it's a very, very like upward climb, which is awesome. And people can attribute this to really any kind of athletics that they've ever done, any hardship um, with business that they've done. So there's a lot of like parallels with other things. I think that a lot of people can just thrive with bodybuilding because, you know, not everybody's going to make a, build a billion dollar business, but you could get on stage and go through these trials. So I think that's where a lot of the positives come from. Really just kind of learning like, hey, what am I capable of? Like, what can I do? What kind of discipline can I create in my life? But like I said, there is this climb, which inevitably, if you allow it, will have a subsequent crash. So I do find that a lot of people will crash and they'll crash very, very hard after shows. So they've had this goal looming in their mind. They've poured their soul into it. And then afterward, they put their head up and they go, now what? And for some people, that becomes a cascade of all these, you know, mental disruptions, hormonal disruptions, eating behavior disruptions, 
or they might become what some people say is addicted to competing because they don't know how to now live their life without it. So they just, oh, I'll do another show. I'll do another show. I'll do another show. And they're pushing away those adaptations, but eventually it's just going to keep, it's going to crash down if you aren't, um, if you're not in this for the long haul. And if you can't detach yourself and say, hey, you know, I had a great season, but now it's time to hang this up. I can't look like this year round. I can't, you know, perform and act like this year round. So now we have to take some time away from the stage. Now, this may be a little bit more selfish on my part because it's something that I've always wanted to learn about since I've started this podcast, and I feel like this is a very great episode to get into that. But you mentioned this um, this climb, right, and that eventually there could be a crash unless you are really protecting yourself against it in terms of maybe competing frequency, uh, mm-hmm. the amount of stress you're putting through your body at any given time, whether you're taking you know a, a two- or three-week break or six-week break versus like – several months to let your body rest, right? So I want to get a little more into that strategy of competing and really the direction that you um, try to help people go to make kind of more of a lifelong um, Mm -hmm. sport out of it. So uh, can you put a number maybe in each year, like how many times somebody should compete, you know, not 30 times a year, right? But not necessarily just one, right? Is there kind of a number you can put to that? So it's so challenging to give a specific number because I, a few reasons. So if somebody is looking to compete just to have fun, that's a totally different story versus somebody who is looking to compete to be the most competitive person possible versus somebody who's pretty much there. We just need to compete and get them seen in order to have the results awarded, right? Like in most cases, a pro card. So for the person who's just looking to compete and have fun, hey, you know, let's do a few shows and then, you know, we'll kind of reassess from there. But it's not as, um, you know, that person might not be looking to do years of competing. They might like to do a season or two. Hey, this was great. Um, you know, we still need to take proper reverses. Um, but it's a little bit different than if somebody's like, hey, I want to be a lifelong bodybuilder, right? Or not necessarily lifelong, but a long career bodybuilder. Um, so a good rule of thumb, just as a really general rule, uh, is people need to take, you know, say you've dieted for five months, ideally you should be taking at minimum five months off in an off season before you even start dieting again. Now, does that always happen? No. Have I pushed clients to go before that? Yes. Have I pushed myself to go before that? Yes. For some people, they are in a position to where they've built enough muscle mass, they've built enough shape, they've built the right eating behaviors, hormonally they're in the right place, metabolically they're in the right place. Hey, we can push it a little bit sooner um if they are very competitive if they need to take more time in order to bring more competitiveness no that person needs to take significantly more time off because they need to take time off of dieting in a way to get back to normal but now they also need to grow and make changes so i know that is like not an answer at all but there is really no direct way of saying hey somebody should compete you know in this kind of a frequency now i will say that what I find to be better is for people to have longer, slower preps, really, really empty it out, do a handful of shows when they're ready, and then, you know, really maximize the entire season. So then we can feel confident, hey, we did everything we could. Now we're going to take an extended off season. Um, so I'm not afraid of people doing several shows per season, um, but they do need to be in a logical order. Like you're not going to do a show in March and then September and then November like that is not a good strategy um you know unless you are reversing into the shows and doing things like that which some people do um and then that's a whole different conversation as well um but does that kind of answer it 
Yeah, no, that's perfect. Okay. And I should have been a little more specific or <laughs> no, like, it's fine. generalized. Yeah. No, it's fine. There's just so many different levels to it. Um, and that's why I hate saying one thing, which I know is like the bane of existence for people listening because they want to know, hey, what is the answer? But there really is no one right answer because somebody could do a show or two, look great. Hey, we're going to do a show later in the year. So now we're reversing your calories up. We roughly maintain and then we diet a little bit down. Bam, we're in a good spot. Other people, hey, we really, really push it. We do three shows and no, you need at least a year off before we even start dieting again. You know, so there's so many different um, ways that you can handle it. Um, and it ultimately comes down to where the person at is both physically, well, I guess three ways, physically, mentally, and metabolically. That makes sense. And I, it makes a lot of sense in the fact that nobody is the same, right? Everybody's different. And, and I like how you pointed out that whether you're just competing to have fun versus someone who's lifelong versus, you know, someone who wants to do a, a short run of several shows versus someone who wants to compete, you know, several times throughout the year, there's going to be different approaches through all of that. So when it comes to training and having a coach to actually guide you through that, uh, I think one of the things we talked about previously was really how does someone know when the right time is to find a coach to work with? Because that's something I feel like a lot of people don't really know when that time is. Yes. Uh, and then you'll get the emails. Hey, I want to do a show in 12 weeks. Nope. Well, not with me. <laughs> You're certainly not doing that. Um, and not with any, any of our coaches. Um, so for whatever reason, long time ago, like there was like a, a thing where people thought, Oh, every week is 12, every prep is 12 weeks or something like that. Right. They thought, Oh, I can just get ready in 12 weeks, 12 weeks, 12 weeks it became this magical number. And there's really nothing magical behind 12 weeks to be super honest. And if I'm also being really honest, most people need a lot more than 12 weeks. Um, especially females and especially natural females. So the faster that you diet, the harsher um, the adaptations are going to be and potentially the higher risk for muscle loss you're at. You're at the higher risk for muscle loss. And that is obviously what we're trying to avoid. Now, if somebody is taking performance enhancing drugs of any kind that will help with muscle building, well, they can typically hold on to muscle a lot easier so they can do shorter diets. Um, and this is not a knock against any of that, that it's just the reality. If you are taking feeds, you will be able to diet for shorter and for long, I mean, shorter and harder and typically not see the muscle loss that you will as a natural athlete. Um, so that is going to be something to take into consideration as well, but not even just the length of the prep. We are looking as team local fit for clients to work with us before they prep. Even if somebody is in the absolute perfect situation, they email us their questionnaire, they haven't dieted in months, their calories are up high, they're not doing a lot of cardio, they're in a great place mentally. I am still at minimum doing at least a month with them of off season before we decide to do a prep. Most people, it is subsequent, it is substantially longer than a month. And I would say that really, if you're looking to do a show, just backtrack a whole year from now. Take six months to work with the coach beforehand in the off season to really get things dialed in, and then take at least six months to diet for that first show. Um, and I know that sounds insane to some people listening that you could say today when you're listening, hey, I want to do a show and it's September 3rd. So I'm going to do a show September 3rd of 2020. And you really need to start that process now. So um, especially if somebody's new and they don't have experience, but also if somebody is experienced and they've been through the ringer with dieting, we're typically going to need a little bit of a longer period in that off season beforehand with them. So that's interesting because I, and again, it's different for everybody, right? But I knew that it wasn't so short term as, you know, 12 weeks or, or <laughs> five months. But I, I think that that's interesting that you mentioned an entire year to be able to, one, kind of get things settled into the right spot. And then when the time comes, so you're not 
you know, crash dieting the whole time, exactly. uh, then the coach can say, okay, now we're going to shift gears and start going the direction. It's more going to focus on getting you show ready. Mm-hmm. There, Cause there's a lot to it as far as, okay, off season, you're really looking to, you know, not only build up calories, you know, you want to make sure your hormones in the right place. You want to make sure that training is hard and you're actually recovering, which means that you're you know, eliciting new muscle growth. Um, and you also want to make sure that your mindset and your habits are in the right place because no healthy habits are really built during a contest prep. Um, you're pretty much just trying to survive and you're trying to hold on to the habits that you've built. So really healthy habits need to be built in that off season period. Um, and that consistency needs to be built in so that when you do make the switch for prep, it's not like, oh, wow, I've just been doing whatever I want for the past few months. Now I'm going to get super ultra aggressive. No, our bot, our brains just simply do not work like that. Um, and I haven't really found any success with people who do that. So working with somebody beforehand to get all those things in the right place is really, really key. So when you do make that switch to contest prep, you're in a much better place you know, on all fronts. And that way you can actually make progress. And really the ultimate goal is to start dieting for the show and be ready early. So I know people can't even imagine that either, but it's like, Hey, if we can be ready early, we can now, you know, maintain this new weight that we're at. We can probably add a little bit of food, pull a little bit of cardio. You're going to look a lot better for the show. You're going to be a little bit more rested, have less inflammation. There's so many great things that you can do when diets are long, especially, you know, you could do a diet break, you could do more refeeds, but if you're crunched, Hey, I got nine weeks. No, it's just not going to work. So would you say that with, in some extreme cases, right? Let's, and I don't know how to define what extreme would be that it would take longer than a year, perhaps even someone who might be in a, a, a worst case physically and might have a little bit more to go, uh, possibly having them go for, you know, six months on their own, trying to improve things that are simple, possibly using your plan that you have on your website where it's, here's, here's your macro setup. It's a one-time setup, mm-hmm. right? I found that really valuable because a lot of people, I feel like they don't know where to even start. Mm-hmm. And I think going to a coach is going to be really costly. So I, yes. I guess my question would be, um, you know, someone who's maybe got to lose 30, 40 pounds of fat to be able to get down to even a single digit area, would that still be a year or what would be your take on that? So it, it depends. Okay. Is it 30, 40 pounds on a male? Is it 30, 40 pounds on a female? Um, how much muscle mass do they have? What is their dieting history like? Um, if they have, let's just say worst case scenario, they've had a pretty substantial dieting history. Now they are 30 to 40 pounds over what we would want for even a contest prep weight and they don't have a ton of muscle, yes, it's going to take them a little bit longer um, versus somebody who's, you know, done all the right things and maybe they gained a little bit more weight than they would have liked to, but they've taken time off of dieting and they've really, um, you know, have built up a solid foundation underneath. But in, in the first case, which I think is probably what you're alluding to, I would say that, yes, it might take even longer. And what we do with a lot of clients um, who are, you know, let's say at a body weight that or body fat that they don't necessarily want to be at is we'll do these cycles of like reversing and then dieting, reversing and then dieting and not necessarily a competition diet, like just like a regular diet. We're trying to get some weight off. And the whole goal is eventually to be able to maintain at a lower body fat with, you know, a little bit more calories. So that is a slow process. Um, but we do have the calculation, the macro calculations for that reason. So for people who don't necessarily either want coaching or they can't afford it. We have several options for people as far as one-time macro calculations. So basically somebody fills out all this information and based on their goal, I say, Hey, um, you know, this is what I would recommend for the macros. Do this for the next two months, three months, whatever, come back, 
give me your information again. We'll do a new calculation. You know, you just purchase a new one. I'll revamp it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we also have training programs on there. We have subscription training programs also. Um, and then there's also just Skype consults. Like, hey, if you just want to call and ask questions, but again, don't necessarily want to do have a coach. I've done that for a lot of people, like pair a, you know, a consult with a macro calculation. Hey, let's go do this for three months and then come back to me. So there's all different options for people um, based on kind of where they're at. And that is why we like to offer those. Um, but yeah, feasibly for somebody who is, let's say on the higher end of body fat um, and they don't necessarily have the best base, then yes, it's going to, it might be even longer than a, a year. Now, one more caveat. You can totally get on stage looking however you want to look. There is absolutely no um, requirements. But if you're, you know, if somebody is like, hey, you know, I know reasonably I probably have about 40 pounds to lose and not enough muscle and I want to look really, really great on stage, I'm willing to do what it takes. Okay, yeah, it might take a year and a half, two years. Thank you for answering that. And I, I yeah. like to kind of see the different the different angles of things, right? Because understanding, you know, maybe someone who's in a significant physical condition different than, you know, another person is, is very important. And I think it helps people really see that there is no one size fits all. So even if, you know, they go onto your website or talk to a friend who maybe is a coach, right? Whatever they can do, get some input because it's not just, they're not going to find something on Google that just says, here's what everybody does. Granted, there are definitely things that work. Like I wanted to call out on your website. There's actually a free PDF that you guys have, the do's and don'ts for fat loss. And I think that all the stuff in there is great, right? A great, oh, great, great starting point. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we wrote it, you know, as a starting point. Um, and I'm not sure when this will necessarily come out, but we do have a new um, Foundations of Food Education ebook coming out as well, too. That will be um, a lot more in depth than that one, but I'm pretty excited about that as well. And that really is, you know, we kind of started realizing like, hey, there's a lot of people who don't even know where to start. And that is really the hardest part for people. So um, I appreciate that you like that book <laughs> yeah i haven't gone through the whole thing yet i just i looked through the first you know chapter or two yeah. and i looked at the different uh items that were listed on there but uh i think that i'll go ahead and put the link for your site in the show notes as well but that way whenever someone listens to this they can go check it out and see if that new pdf that you're mentioning is going to be there kind of to tie things more to an end i would like to ask if you had one single message, and I ask all my guests this, and my, my audiences are probably getting tired of hearing it, but if you had one single message that you could give to the community, um, whether it's just life-related or fitness specifically, what would that one message be? You really have to consistently educate yourself um, and not be afraid to learn or try new things. And I know that probably sounds really cliche, um, but I think that a lot of people either get stuck maybe in their own ways, like, hey, this has worked before, so I'm always going to do this with people, um, like with clients or myself. Um, and some people just stop kind of learning in general. So I know that it's easy to fall into that trap, especially if you're not in an academic setting anymore. And, you know, nobody's forcing you to read research or read a book or anything like that, but really making sure that you're diving headfirst into your own education as well, um, whether it is, you know, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, reading research, reading research reviews, um, you know, ebooks, regular books, like there's so many different ways to educate yourself. And you might listen or read or hear about things that maybe aren't the best. And that is kind of, I know, where a lot of people get confused, because there's so much information out there with people differing in beliefs. But what I would say is make sure that you follow or listen to people who are, you know, fairly 
you know, contextual and nuanced in their approach. And then you're generally going to be in a good spot. If you're listening to people who are like, Hey, you got to do this because of, you know, some crazy thing they they list off. That's a little, you know, it's a red flag to me. Um, even now, even if I've been doing this for a long time and I know, you know, a lot of, you know, some of the research, but there's so much, right. I can't know everything. So if somebody who, you know, theoretically knows more than you, right. Even people with MDs, you know, and which everybody holds to a super high regard will sometimes, you know, use that title in, in a way that is not very truthful, right. They might write a book and, Oh, I'm an MD. I'll just slap it on there. And they're writing all this nonsense. So, you know, sometimes people will look at that and say, oh, I got to trust these people and not always. So I'm always wary. I always want people to learn and read things from everybody, you know, but stick to the people who have the very nuanced and contextual approach. Um, and ultimately, you know, the bad information will kind of sift out. Um, and if it's not harmful, I would say try it. There's no hurt. There's no harm in trying things. if They're not going to hurt you. <laughs> Obviously, be careful with some things. Um, but yeah, so education is really the the most important thing to me and my team of coaches as well. Um, and that's really our mission in general is to educate more people. Um, so yeah, that's a really big thing in, that I would recommend to everybody. I really like that because I went through a little bit on your website before this and looked through your mission statement and you actually talk about how you blend evidence-based practices and then also in the trend experience. So I think that really echoes what you're saying with if we can just continually educate ourselves and make sure that we're trying the things that aren't blatantly harmful uh, yeah. to try to see what works for us, you know, the things are going to work differently for everybody. Everybody's body is different. The fundamental, I guess, principles of the human body are the same across the board, but things happen in different amounts and quantities, right? So people are mm -hmm. different, but uh, I think that's really great. And I really appreciate your time. I think this has been wonderful and there's been a lot of value that people can take from this. And I really hope that people will uh, go look at your podcast and see how you can educate people on there and, and go check out your website too, because I think that you've got a lot to offer. But other than, you know, your website and your podcast, what would you say that people could do to reach out to you, whether it's, you know, on your you know website or Instagram even? Yeah. So first of all, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I hope that everybody got a lot out of this. I, um, so thank you for asking great questions. Um, but yeah, our website has all the information about us. You can also email directly through there. Any questions that you might have, um, do have a few resources as far as content goes. So on the website, you'll see somewhere it says subscribe. So there is um, a free newsletter. So you just put your email in and you're on the newsletter and we don't spam, but it's, you know, educational stuff uh, on there that, you know, is written by myself or one of the other coaches. So we have an educational article every week and we also have a free Metcon every week. So that's a fun thing. Um, I just started um, with the team, the team look of it roundtable. So it is a podcast with all the different coaches kind of weighing in on different topics. So you can search team look of it roundtable on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Um, my Instagram is at Lauren Conlon, L-A-U-R-I-N-C-O-N-L-I-N. Uh, the team page is at Team Loco Fit. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel as well. It's just Lauren Conlon, spell my name right, L-A-U-R-I-N. Uh, and then the other two podcasts that I co-host, uh, Redefine Healthy Radio with Paul Ravella and The Unglamorous Life with Celeste Bonin. So you can find all that information on our site or my social medias. And yeah, again, it's just about putting out quality information. That is our goal. And if you want to reach out, shoot me a message on Instagram, but even better would just be to send an email because I operate a lot better on email than the kids these days who love DMs, but I'm more of an email person. <laughs> so 
yeah awesome well yeah i really appreciate that i'll make sure to put some of those in the notes and thank you very much for your time today yeah thank you so much john thank you everybody for listening thanks again for listening and i hope you enjoyed the show make sure to subscribe if you're not already and i'd like to give a brief shout out to spartan carton who recently sent me one of their monthly subscription boxes if you want to try new things and aren't sure where to start then this may be the box for you a link to my youtube review of their citizen box is in the description below You'll also get 10% off by using code JBARKFIT. Thanks again for watching, and we'll see you on the next episode.